So if you're a guest to HBF, welcome this morning. We're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us online, we're really glad that you're with us. Hope to see you soon in the flesh. Uh, for all the guests, first-time guests especially, we're glad that you're here. Hope you did get a guest bag and uh, have an opportunity to get to meet you. I will be in the foyer after the the, uh, the uh, service if I didn't get a chance to say hi to you this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's jump into this. Let's get into Exodus chapter 7. We're moving along, but I'm going to hit a little bit of creeper gear today uh, because uh, of the content. I want to get into the verse thir- get into the first 13 verses of Exodus chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you, and you can turn to page 91, page 91. And uh, we're going to read Exodus chapter 6, verses 18 through 30. And then we're going to look at verses 1 through 13. So um, if you could, I know I just had you sit down and you're turning, but let's, let's go ahead and stand in honor of God's Word. If you can, I know there's some here that it's not, uh, it's not good, to, you're not in a situation where you can, so feel free to stay seated if you need to, to and don't think twice about that. But if you can stand, uh, let's read God's Word together. Uh, I think after hearing a song like that, Psalm 34, Man, may the Lord's word be blessed as we read it together. You'll, you'll be reminded last week, if you were here, we were in Exodus chapter 6, and we finished up uh, in verse, uh, in, in verse uh, tw- 30. But I want to just kind of pick it up there. As, as Moses has been commanded to go forward, and he's still wanting to, to kind of, to, well, not go forward. And so we see here in verse 28, the Bible says, And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Chapter 7 and verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee, and Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh, that he send the children of Israel out of, this, out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. The Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them, and Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. And Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron was uh, fourscore and three years old when they spake unto Pharaoh. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. And Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and uh, sorcerers, now the magicians of Egypt. They also did in like manner with their enchantments, for they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods, and he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, it's, it's... it's difficult to imagine being so hard-hearted uh, that a miracle like that would not uh, impress us, that would not cause us to repent. And yet, Lord, uh, today the hearts of men are, are growing increasingly hard. And, and Lord, signs and wonders are uh, you know, on tap in the next dispensation coming. And uh, Lord, I just pray, God, that, uh, Lord, as we come to your word today, 
Lord, that we would just uh, come fully uh, willing and ready to receive your word. Lord, that we would see uh, your plan in our lives, that you would encourage us in standing firm upon the word of God and speaking the truth as we ought to speak, preach the gospel as we ought to preach it, and not be moved from all the uh, opposition and the, and the contention uh, that is so prevalent. Lord, may we be those that bring the gospel of peace, Lord, in a spirit of meekness and, and the spirit of God, the fruit of the spirit manifest in our lives. And Lord, the Bible t- teaches us that charity never fails. Lord, may we be your ambassadors. May we be your soldiers, Lord. May we, uh, Lord, be faithful uh, officers for you. We thank you and we praise you for this opportunity to look at the word of God today, to consider uh, what it is to go forward in the face of conflict. And we pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So last week we, we started this section in Exodus and we saw God tell Moses in chapter 6 and verse 1 uh, to, you know, sit back, Moses, and see what I will do to Pharaoh. It actually, if you go back to verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he shall let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And of course, we know that that was not the response, not even close to what happened once Pharaoh did or was confronted by Moses. So as we spoke about the war for worship, we saw that no one seemed to be getting, you know, the outcomes they desired in this situation. You know, Pharaoh, of course, he didn't want uh, any unfettered, uh, he wanted unfettered control of the, the children of Israel. So he, his desire was being uh, quashed because he had these upstarts telling him to let his people go. These people were his people as far as he was concerned. They were his servants and they were doing what he wanted to do. So he wasn't happy. Um, and of course, uh, Moses, he really could have used a positive response, at least from his own brethren. But before he could even get back, we saw that they were uh, discouraged. And then when God told him to go back and speak to him again, they didn't receive uh, his words because of the hard bondage and the difficult situations that they were under. So instead, the, impre- the, the uh, oppression grew uh, to an unbearable proportion, and Moses was rejected. You know, in Exodus 6, 9, he, he went back, and the anguish and cruel bondage just was too much uh, for the children of Israel to even receive the word. It would seem like this was a failed plan, but instead of God being, you know, God, like we're used to him being, you know, tenderhearted and merciful and kind, and, and Jesus says all of those things, Right? This is a strange passage when you get into chapter 6 and chapter 7. Uh, I've read it more than once, right? several times. You, you don't see God at all going, hey, uh, uh, I mean, he is gracious. He says, hey, Moses, see what I'm going to do twice. He's, chapter seven or 6 and verse 1, chapter 7 and verse 1. See, see. But he doesn't say, he doesn't coddle Moses. He doesn't coddle anybody. He just says, oh, yeah, I know what's going on. Now watch what I'm going to do. Well, I know it's getting worse, but watch what I'm going to do. And you might wonder, why, why is God taking that tone with the children of Israel? And that's a good question to ask. We're going to get into that this morning. But instead of God being tender and kind to Israel and Moses, he really doubles down on Moses uh, and Moses' need to be obedient and speak all that I commanded thee. And I touched on that a little bit last week about some of the things that, that, that we don't see in the text that were Uh, part of the message uh, that Moses was uh, supposed to deliver or will later deliver uh, in the later chapters. But he also tells Moses, uh, yeah, I know it's tough, but it's okay. Go forward. Pharaoh will not budge, and so it's not going to get easier, and I still need you to go forward. Just do what I tell you to do. And we see that that even though he tells him Pharaoh's not going to budge, 
He says, I will bring forth my armies anyway. I will bring forth my armies anyway. And so at this point, God has prepared Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel for a continual confrontation with Pharaoh. This is not going to get resolved uh, until God resolves it. And it will be a war. And so before I take another step forward in this message, I want you to know the parallels we face in the New Testament um, because there is a, a lot of analogies here. A lot of, it's very analogous. As, as we come to these last days before the coming of Christ and are catching away in the clouds, it's important to know that things could actually get worse for believing Christians before they get better. I concluded my message last week by sharing the contrast with the first and the last mention of the word armies in the Bible. Uh, because many, <clears throat> because I'm sorry, our inheritance is spiritual, not physical. We are we are caught up. Uh, we will be caught up in the air if we don't die before that time. Uh, there's a promise of the catching away of the churches. We call it the rapture, uh, which is just the Latin word for catching catching away, which is what you find in the New Testament. And when we return in Revelation chapter 19, uh, we are an army. We're one army. And we face, a, we face the armies of the beast, the kings of the earth, and, and their armies. Because what's coming is a false replica of what God is establishing here. Satan is going to do everything he can to emulate and overthrow and even mislead the nation of Israel. So if you know anything about end times prophecy, um, I don't know what you think you know, is going to happen. But if you think things are going to get easier... Uh, you would probably be wrong. I remember, you know, many, many years ago, there was a theology in the, in the 80s, and I remember sitting there as a young Christian listening to it, and I'm like, I'm not sure about that. You know, like, oh, there'll be great prosperity. There is a time of peace, by the way. There's a false pox Ramana, as I call it, uh, as the Antichrist ascends into political power. But, but as far as how it's going to go for people of faith that are truly committed to Christ, yeah, I don't think so. Probably not going to be easy sailing. Um, uh, because there's a great falling away that, that is coming. So, so I don't know about, about where everybody's at in their, their eschatology, and I'm not too worried about that this morning. But I do know this. Uh, for born-again Bible believers, uh, we do look forward to the rapture as we see the trauma and the drama that's necessary uh, for the coming man of sin to be exalted and that false peacemaker uh, to be raised. Why do you need a peacemaker? Well, because there's trouble. Right? And, if, and if you're not receiving the peacemaker, the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be receiving the wrong one. And so that's about as negative as I want to be. I don't want to be a negative Nancy. I don't want to bring you down. Right? You came to church. It's, all, it's cloudy out. We need a little sunshine. Right? And so, but I just want you to know things can get bad before they get better. Right? Things can get bad before they get better. And so that's the bad news. But I want to get that out of the way up front. And the good news is that God has given us his word. Right? He's given us his protection. He's given us his provision so we can be victorious in the midst of continual confrontation. What if you just have to get used to that? That's basically what God was doing with Moses. Look, Moses, this confrontation is not just going to be over. You're going to have to dig in here. Of course, we know, if you guys have read your Bible, you probably know already. Yeah, Brian, there's ten more plagues, right? There's ten plagues. This face-off is going to come. So this is a series. It's like... It's like a volleyball tournament. It just goes on and on. <laughs> just kidding. We had a good time Friday night. The New Testament promises that, that we're more than conquerors, Romans 8.37, and we're always victorious in Christ, 
1 Corinthians 15, 57. That is the truth. That is the truth. That is the good news. Paul told us clearly in Ephesians that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places in Ephesians 6, 12. So God is a great commander. Uh, he's like a good football coach. If you've ever been, I bet many of you in this room have been either in the military or you've been in a situation in, a, in an athletic situation in training where that, that coach just pushes you beyond your, 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 what you know your limits are, right? You don't really know your limits until you're pushed there. Maybe you've been in a medical situation or in a life-threatening situation and you didn't really realize that you could, you could really go that far. Well, that's really what God is doing with Israel. He is really stretching them for a season uh, for their own benefit. He's pushing them as a good leader, as a good military leader would do with his soldiers, because he understands the conflict and their need to claim the, the promises, which they will do uh, in his word and in the promised land. This morning, if we're going to be cast, if we're going to be able to cast off the blindness, right, of the Laodicean church age, right, and anoint our eyes with eye salve and see what God would have us to see and claim Philadelphian promises, it's going to come from the word of God. And, it, and, and it's going to come with an attitude of gratitude, uh, thanksgiving, repentance, um, humbleness, a confession of sin, and a willingness to just to really trust God to be steadfast in the conflict that is clearly upon us. We must be committed to the truth of God's promises when everything around us tells us to deny the Lord's word and to capitulate to the spiritual wickedness that is increasingly pervasive. This morning... I, I'll touch on, on one of the three things that I want to get to in regard to the solution or, or the, uh, the, the things that we really need to be undergirt and to be ready to have a continual conflict. This morning I'll touch on one of those things as we solidify our posture to continue to be steadfast in the face of continual conflict with the forces of dar- darkness. I was reminded um, as I was preparing this about uh, the last message that Bob Weston preached here. And it was about this very issue of being steadfast in the, against and in the face of the spiritual forces of darkness. And so you won't be surprised that the first thing that we need to do, the first of three, and I'm only going to get one done today, is we've got to embrace our identity. If you look at the text again in verse 1 of chapter 7, uh, the, the, uh, the text says here, The Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. What an interesting transition that is as we leave chapter 7 and Moses is like, I'm a, a man of uncircumcised lips. I can't go speak to Pharaoh. Same song and dance he's been, he's been singing. And God doesn't even acknowledge it. And he says, okay, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, now you're going to be a god to Pharaoh and Aaron is going to be a prophet. What's all that about? Um, well, I, I touched on it in a previous message. There is some prophetic overtones to the coming uh, witnesses in the in the tribulation. But uh, I'm not going to get back into that this morning. Just practically speaking, God knows that Pharaoh wants to, to worship at the altar of paganism, so he's going to give him a new god named Moses. And some might ask, what, why would God make Moses a god, small g, when Moses is there to point Pharaoh to the God in heaven, the Lord, Jehovah? Why, why would God make Moses a god? I mean, you know, that's a really good question. And so what is God saying here? And this will be your first blank here, or your second blank. Um, Moses, you, 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 Moses is what he's saying. Moses, you, you see, you're the only part of God Pharaoh's going to see. See, Moses, 
I'm making you a god. I'm making Aaron a prophet. Why? Because Moses, you're the only part of me he's going to get to see. His heart's already so hard. I'm, I about had it with this fellow. So if he wants to see God, he's going to talk to you. You are his ambassador. Right? You're his ambassador. And then he goes on to say, um, likewise, Aaron will, will be the only word from God that Pharaoh's going to hear. You two are that. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to appear to him in a burning bush. I'm not interested in that. You two are my my ambassadors. You're the ones that are going to speak on my behalf. So God already told Moses this in Exodus 4:16. In Exodus 4:16, He said, "And he shall be uh, thy spokesman unto the people, and he shall be even uh, he shall be to thee instead of a mouth, and thou shalt be to him instead of God." And so that's what God said. God had this already planned out. God was already done with Pharaoh when he called Moses in the burning bush. He knew what he was going to do. That's a pretty heavy thing, though, to contemplate. It's often said that you're the only Bible many people will read. And that is true. Even Paul said to the Corinthians that they were epistles written and known of all men. I think many of us can, in our life, think of people whose lives are that impactful. Their testimony is a testimony. Um, and uh, it, it's just little things along the way. They're epistles. I can, and I was mentioning, I mentioned your brother last week. When I was 10 years old, his, uh, uh, Alex Jamie's witness to me on the bus with a, a little chick track. Man, and I, it stuck. It stuck in my heart. Not because of the information, but because of my wicked heart and my wicked response. And so I was like, you know, when I got saved later on, you, look, you ever go back and you look at all the people that touched your life and you're like, man, I remember this person and I remember that person. I remember this person. And, and you think of those, what were those? Those were living epistles. They were there in Christ's stead trying to reconcile you to God. Maybe this morning you, you kind of somehow wandered into this crazy Bible-believing local church and you're like, man, I don't want to really be here, but someone drugged me here, you know. Well, really, God brought you here. And he's doing that to, to bring you to a confrontation with the good news that you can be saved from sin. And your sin in particular has put Christ on the cross 2,000 years ago. He died on the cross. He's alive right now, and he wants to dwell in your body. And the, he's here to make terms of peace because there is wrath coming. And he's going to come back in his wrath with his army. And so we are the army, and we're here to make peace because we don't want to bring it. We want to bring God's grace and love because those that have been given forgiveness want to give forgiveness. We all deserve to die and go to hell. We all fall short of the glory of God. But God is so gracious to give us the, the, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we just want to offer that because it's a gift. It's free to receive, but it costs God everything. It costs Him His Son. And so throughout life, you, you run into people and they don't just know that information up here. Like they live that out. They, they believe it to the core because they're born again and they are living epistles. They're, and for some of us, if I wouldn't have received Christ, perhaps those people that I saw would have been all of Jesus I'd have got to see. But now because I received the gospel March 25th, 1987, I get to, he's in me of a truth, but also I get to appear before him at the judgment seat of Christ and spend eternity with him and also return at the second coming of Christ. So 2 Corinthians 3 says this in verse 2, Ye are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Paul said this to the Corinthians, For as much as you are manifestly declared to be 
the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Right, The heart uh, is where it's all at. This isn't a head decision. This is a heart decision. And so Paul said, you Corinthians, man, you are living epistles. You are, you are uh, all that the world, uh, many people in the world are going to see of the Word of God. So how are you doing uh, this morning? Just, just think about that. This is some, you can put some shoes onto this. If God comes down and says, hey, you, put your name in the blank. You are all your boss is going to see. You're a, you're a God unto him. I mean, that's heavy. You're all of me that I'm going to let him see because he's such a rascal. She's such a rascal. I'll tell you what, you're, you're the only thing I'm going to give him. Well, if that were the case, man, uh, how are we doing? I mean, if your life is the only Bible some people will read, does it line up with this book? Does our life line up closely to what the Scripture says about us? Are we, are we full of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance? Right? Are we, is the fruit of the Spirit manifest? Are, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we humble? Are we gracious? Are we kind? Are we steadfast? Are we resolute? Are we, are we loving God and in love with God's Word and who He is? Do you, do you even know what the Scripture says about who we are? That's another side of that coin. You could be sitting here, perhaps, or listening online, and you might not even know what the Bible even says about you as a Christian after you get saved. And that's one of the reasons here at Heartland we have a mission. Our mission is the same mission that Jesus had at His first coming. Before He went to the cross, He says, God, I've finished the work that you had me to do. And what was that work? Tell me, class. Make disciples. That's right make disciples he hadn't even died on the cross yet to atone for the sins of the world why he had a special mission with 12 men and those men were his uh, became his apostles but they followed him and what did they do while they followed him they learned who they were that their identity they thought they were fishermen they thought they were tax collectors they thought they were all kinds of things and they obviously were vocationally those things but ultimately when it's all said and done every one of those men became a witness except for john um, John is a witness, but he, he's the only one that didn't die, they, not for lack of trying. Um, uh, but uh, uh, they, they all gave their life for Christ as Christ gave his life for us. They all end up becoming an emulation, a, a, a picture of who they were following. They became like Christ to the point that, that, that in 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter's not coming to anybody saying, go fish for men. He's saying, Hey, shepherds, be a good shepherd. We all are good shepherds. We've got to be humble shepherds. Why? Because he was totally transformed from a fisherman to a sheep herder like Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, because that's who he followed. His identity was formed by what was written about him. And our identity should be formed by what's written about us. Your name is Christian. Christ is in you. Do you live? Do you act? Do you... I have, a, I have a friend on Facebook. It was funny this week. I, I almost commented, and if you're watching, we can yuck it up together. But he's like, man, I don't trust people that don't cuss. And I was like, man, I need a... Makes me nervous. And I'm like, man, sorry you don't trust me, Kurt. But uh, I get it. I remember being there. 
And uh, you, know, you know why that is? Because it scares them. It's, it's, it scares you. Something's different about those people. That's why our mission at HBF is to make disciples. Not just to add members, not just to do church, um, not just to you know, be the church. There's a lot of cool th- phrases. Specifically, we're here to make disciples and reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're actually li- like literally produce disciples, like not just talk about it. And we're in various stages of, of progress. And some are, are stalled. Many are stalled, I might add, uh, are not actually progressing. Some of you guys are just like whew, rocket ships. And, and some don't even have a clue. You're still just playing church. But the reality is, is that, that what God does in every, wants to do in every local church is make disciples to change who you are more and more like him every day. Just as our children are a reflection of us, we are a reflection of our Heavenly Father. So it all starts with our identity as a son. I'm going to jump out of Exodus for just a moment because I do need to put this in a New Testament context. And you can see from the, the slide, of course, where I'm going with this. First John chapter 3, many of you know this verse. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. There's a reason that when Moses showed up, Pharaoh wasn't having it. He didn't recognize him as uh, you know, one of the, 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 uh, the family members of the palace anymore. Right? Those days were... 40 years over. That's gone. He's got a new identity. He's not recognized. He said, go back to your labors. Get out of here, man. You don't belong here. You know what? Pharaoh was right. Moses didn't belong there. Aaron didn't belong there. As a matter of fact, the children of Israel didn't belong there. Beloved, once you get saved, the truth of the matter is, this is not your home. You don't belong here anymore. But God has left you here for a season. And that season is so that you can be a living epistle. And if you feel the tension every day when you wake up or when you go to school and you go to work and you go different places in the community, there's a reason you feel that tension because this is not your home. God has, has set you apart to, to, to go to heaven. You, are, you have a whole other identity because you are a child of God. Behold, John says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we individually could be called the sons of God. Whereas we've already seen when he announces this to Pharaoh, he says, Israel is my firstborn. So the, the, the plan that he had for this entire people group, which he will still fulfill, by the way, in the coming uh, uh, Daniel 70th week, is still is, is, is like all of that mojo that you have the whole Old Testament on and all that dispensation is built on. It comes down not just to the, the church, but actually to you. You're that important to the kingdom of God, the spiritual kingdom of God. You have an identity as a son of God. Man, that's amazing. I don't think I can fully get my head around all of that. But man, that is an incredible identity that you and I have in Christ. So John goes on to say, beloved, now. We're not just talking about Revelation 19 and coming back as an army. We're not just talking about appearing at the judgment seat of Christ. We're not just talking about inheritances in the millennial reign of Christ and eternity future. We're not just talking about all that. He says, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we'll be like him. We shall be like, we shall be, see him, sorry, we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. So, men and women, uh, you know, young women and children, 
uh, boys and girls, whoever's in here and listening online, how are, uh, we're pure. We are pure. We are. You know, what are, what are the, what's one of the attributes of identifying with Christ? I just read it. Purity. Purity. There's a lot of talk right now about revival. Well, you know what you'll see in genuine revival? Purity. Pure word, right? Pure walk. Now, we're not pure in our flesh. We still have that battle. That's part of the conflict. Identifying with who God calls us and who we really are versus what we walk around in every day with this carcass on. It's a struggle. Paul writes about it, Romans chapter 7, right? So like Moses, you may not feel like a son or even a living epistle, but the fact of the matter is that if you're born again, that is your identity. You may take a little while to grow into that identity. I'm still growing into my identity. I'm I'm gracious with you. It takes me a while. Um, I like to say I'm the fastest in the slow class, you know. It may take you a while to grow up into that identity, but that's exactly that's what exactly what God uh, that's exactly what God needs us to do, and it's necessary if we're going to be useful as an ambassador for Christ. It's clear from the text that Moses did not feel right. If we're going off our feelings, right? He, Moses was Laodicean before Laodicean was cool. You know, long before Barbara Mandrell, there was Moses, and so. Only five of you understand that. But anyway, <laughs> that's okay. You young ones are like, what? Barbara Mandrell? <laughs> Who is that? Just look her up in the Bible. Get Strong's out. You'll find her somewhere in there. <laughs> so, so you need, this is, it. This is how it rolls. So you, you may not feel like you're a son of God. That doesn't change the fact that it's true. You are saved. If you're born again, you're saved, whether you feel like it or not. You may not feel like you're forgiven, but that doesn't change the fact that if you're saved, you're forgiven. You may not feel like you're an ambassador for Christ, but it doesn't change the fact that if you're saved, you are an ambassador for Christ. You may be a bad one, but you're an ambassador. You may not feel like you are a conqueror or more than a conqueror, but the Bible tells us that we are. You may not feel like you're a light in this world, but the fact is, if you're saved, you are intended to be a light. Some of us are dim, some of us are bright. You may not feel like you're a pillar or in a ground of truth and part of the body of Christ, but the reality is that's your station in this world if you are born again. You may not feel like you're, you even belong to the body of Christ, but you do. Rather you acknowledge that or not, that is the truth. You may not feel like you're uh, part of the bride of Christ, but the fact is you are the bride of Christ, and you may not uh, really believe that you are more than a conqueror, but you are. You're saved, even if you don't feel like it. And I could go on and on and on at this point, but Moses didn't feel like what God was saying that he was because he had grown in his relationship with God from the days of his hot-headed youth. He was now ready to step into this role that God had for him, and he's still feeling inadequate. Even though he didn't feel good about it, he did it anyway. When we get over, we read earlier in, in chapter 7, we get over here to uh, chapters, uh, six and, uh, chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. It goes on to say Moses' age and Aaron's age. They were 80 and 83 when they were called out to, to speak to Pharaoh. Very clearly, if there's one thing we learn about Moses leading up to this chapter... Moses was not comfortable doing what God called him to do. He'd never felt adequate. Anyone ever feel like they're not adequate? I think a lot of us do. 
I mean, when you're when you're stepping into the spiritual realm, it's 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 tough. That's why you can't walk by sight, right? You got to walk by faith, not by sight. So Moses is stepping into this role anyway. You know what that's called when someone steps into a role that they don't even feel good about, but they do it and they do exactly what God says anyway? There's a word for this. <clears throat> what is it? Obedience. That's it. That's not the word I was thinking of. That's probably the better word. Darn. <laughs> Dang, you guys got it right. Should I change my message? No, okay, so. Now, obedience is right, but this is what obedience leads to. This is why we teach obedience. It's called maturity. Right? Why do we teach children to obey? Because we want them to grow. A disobedient child, they really won't grow. And literally, they'll get shot in the street. I mean, that can literally happen. You get, you get disobedient, you get stupid, and you never obey the rules, and you rage against the machine, you rebel against your mom and dad, you rebel against the system. Well, guess who, guess who the next person you're going to run into? It's that, it's that dude in the corner that has a gun, or it's that cop out here that is, is sanctioned by God, Romans 13, to not bear the sword in vain. And you just go push, 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 and I won't obey the rules. Well, guess what? The rules will get you, right? God is, it's like John Cougar Mellencamp, another prophet in the Old Testament said, (laughs) you can fight authority. I am kidding. I hope God doesn't judge me. That may have been across the line. He's not in the Old Testament. That is a lie. I'm talking about revival and I'm lying in the pulpit. That is not, that is not right. So, I was just jesting, just in case somebody took that seriously. So he says, I fight authority. What happens? Authority always wins. So instead of doing fighting authority, what we really need to see is maturity. Moses displays maturity. We have the Bible that gives us all this reality. It doesn't varnish anything. It just the unvarnished truth. Moses didn't feel good about speaking. He didn't feel good about presenting himself before Pharaoh. Yet he did it anyway because he was obedient, and that showed his maturity. That's what mature people do. They do what they're supposed to do, even when they don't feel good about it. It's maturity. That's, that's, that's acting like a grown-up. That's called being a man. In, the case, in this case, a man of God. A man that God can use to take a group of oppressed slaves and transform them, them into an army that defeats giants in the promised land. Though Moses didn't make it there, Joshua would. Because he's a, by the way, why is that? Because he's a picture of the law. The law... Is, is our schoolmaster. It leads us under Christ. It leads us unto Joshua, Yeshua, Jesus, right? So Jesus takes us into the promised land. The law teaches us that we're sinners and we can't make it. And then Jesus comes in and saves us and takes us across Jordan into the promised land. So there's the big picture. But if you're wondering if, if the revival at Asbury is real, we'll just look for the fruit and see if that fruit matures into men and women who will hold fast to the Word of God and grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's real, it will not continue with bad doctrine. It won't continue in, in uh, you know, constant Christian rock concerts, right? That, that's not revival. Revival is, is a biblical movement of God. It's God moving in His Spirit through people when the Word of God changes us from the inside out. It's not just an emotional high, though there's emotions associated with it. If you do understand your identity in Christ, you'll want to move forward in faith. You'll want to go forward and face 
even in the, in the face of continual conflict. And there's these things that we need to learn from Moses. Obviously, point A, embrace your identity because you have been, you've been charged as an officer. And I'm going to just high view this and I'll be done. It won't take me much longer. I know you're like, man, Brian, you're just now getting here. No, that's okay. Relax. That's why we've got a part B to this message. <clears throat> you've got to embrace your identity because in this text, you don't, do you just take a baby and make him an officer? No. Moses is mature. That's why God charged him uh, in Exodus chapter 6 and verse 13. You'll remember last week we touched on that. It says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron and gave them charge unto the children of Israel and unto, the, and Fa- unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. It just so happened last, I preached that on Sunday morning. Sunday night I come in here for the evening service in First Timothy chapter 6 and the charge that Paul gave to Timothy. You give that charge to people who can bear it, people who can bear up under it and who can face the challenges, even when they don't feel like it, and do what God needs them to do. We covered this last week and touched on that, so I'm not going to tarry, but God introduces his officer before he introduces his armies. We saw also last week in verse uh, 29 of chapter, verse 26 of chapter 6 that God gave the army, right? So before he had his army announced, he announced his leader. That's a biblical principle in ministry you can live by too. It's an enduring principle for not just ministry, but just leadership in general, uh, you know, in any organization. You, you can't have a movement of people if you don't have a leader. You've got to have a leader. Right now, Randy and I are praying about leaders. There's some things that we see, like in missions, that need to be filled in. And in the whole church, we need to, we're praying that God would grow people up and fill in the gaps, not starting in the leadership role, starting in just like standing at the door and greeting people or working, holding babies and just, just service stuff. We need, we need a lot of just people that are willing to serve and smile and be kind and let the fruit of the Spirit preach. This, the standards for officers, by the way, are high. And fidelity and competence must be proved. You don't go in the military and go, oh, yeah, I'm an officer first day out, right? What, what happens when you join the military? You've got to go through basic training. It's arduous. It's difficult for a purpose. They break you down and build you up. But if you want to be an officer, you go to officer training. There's additional training. And there's expectations. And you have to be proved. This is the reason the church in the, in the West, I believe, has suffered for the past 50 years or so. The biblical model for discipling leaders who are proven was scrapped for an educational and a, a corporate mindset that's turned many pastors who are supposed to be officers of, of a movement of God into to guys who hold a job. It's not a calling. It's just a job. It's another thing that you do. Beloved, what we need are men in pulpits that are called to the ministry, men that are called and are coming up through the ranks that are discipled into the position of the officer that God has given them. Paul sets the standard very clearly in the New Testament for officers in 1 Timothy 3 and and Titus chapter 2. And since I'm talking about that, don't forget that we're in the process of electing deacons. And so it's important to seek biblical maturity, not popularity, when when filling the office of a deacon. 1 Timothy 3.10 says this, And let these also first be proved, then let them use the office of a deacon, being found blameless right and so there's a there's a expectation of maturity when we have officers whether it's a pastor or a deacon in the church there should be maturity god took a long time to bring moses in as an officer but we should also not just embrace our identity as an officer by the way if you're wondering who's that old guy on there that's hal moore he's passed away but he was a great military leader 
uh, for the United States Army, uh, U.S. Airborne, I believe. So um, embrace your identity because you have been commanded as a soldier as well. You've been commanded as a soldier. We already looked at verses 1 through 7, uh, but we, as we read that text, the call of God upon Moses and Aaron's life to do the hard thing and face off with Pharaoh is exactly what God expected of them. These first seven verses include the initial moments after Exodus 6, but God is speaking of the obedience of Moses and Aaron through the entire confrontation with Pharaoh by the time we get to verses 6 and 7 that I read a moment ago. Just kind of look at 6 and 7 with me real quick again. It says, And Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded them, so did they. That's not just talking about this first initial meeting with Pharaoh. This is actually kind of an, an introduction to the rest of what we're going to see in about chapter 15 with Moses leading the children of Israel out. And in spite of all of his insecurity and, and his, his misgivings, he did what he was supposed to do because obviously he was charged to do it as an officer. But also he and the children of Israel end up behaving as soldiers. Right? They go ahead and they progress forward in obedience, which is the word that you guys were giving me a moment ago. They were obedient with the command of God. They did what they were supposed to do. And God points out they were 80 and 83 years old, Moses and Aaron, when they did this, which tells us something else. It's never too late to get obedient. Right? It's never too late. Moses was 80 before he was getting it together. That's, that's encouraging for some. They did as the Lord commanded them. That's, the, that's what's written. Now, obviously, we're, we're just getting ready to see the standoff of the ten plagues. So God is speaking about the faithfulness of Moses to fulfill his word as he faced off with Pharaoh all the way through Exodus 15. But this is one thing that we understand about being a soldier. Being a soldier, well, it's hard. I mean, does anyone gonna go into the military? Oh, this is the most cush job I can get. I can't, I love the pay. And this is going to be so, man, so cushy. No. I mean, people that thrive on difficulty, like your son-in-law. Those are the people that are in the military. Put an obstacle in front of him so he can go through it, not over it, right? And so, like Kyle Peebler, right? People like that, that's, you need people that can endure hardness, that can deal with difficulty, because being a soldier is hard. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 5, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if any man also strive for the masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Man, I'm glad Paul brought this up. Because, you know what, sometimes we endure hardness because God is forming us to be a good soldier. This is a war for worship. Is it going to be the gods of Egypt or the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is it going to be the gods of Egypt or the great I am? Is it going to be the gods of Egypt or is it going to be Jehovah God? Well, we know oh, we're on Jehovah's team. No, you're in Jehovah's army. This isn't no game and it's going to be difficult. So God says, I'm going to put on my DI hat for a few months or a few weeks or however long that period was between the time that Moses... Uh, first appeared and, and the hard bondage came. It was very quick and rapid. We saw that. But God was, he was putting him in a vice. He was pressing down on him. It went from bad to worse. Why? Because they thought it was bad living at home with mom and dad and they went and got in the boot camp. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, man, I can't take mom and dad's rules. I'm going to the military. Okay. Good idea. 
What was God doing? He was forming an army out of these servants. And he, and he put them in a vice. And, and for, through chapter 6, in the, in the beginning of chapter 7 there, it would look like God doesn't even care about Moses or those people as long as he gets what he wants. But God is, is a good leader. And he knew exactly what they needed. If you've ever been pushed by a, a military, uh, like a DI, or you've ever been pushed by a, a, a good football coach or a good athletic coach, that's exactly what they do. They don't say, oh, let me help you with your boo-boo. <laughs> Suck it up, buttercup. I can remember when I was a wrestler one time, I, I, my shoulder was separated and I didn't want to wrestle. I, re- I literally wrestled a guy with one arm. I didn't think I could do it. I was like a baby crying. I'm like, I can't believe Coach Luke is going to make me wrestle tonight. My arm hurts. I can't. I had a big old bump on it. I mean, I'm not embellishing. Amy was there. She saw it all. And this guy makes me go out and wrestle? No way. But you know what? Came out with a pin. Amazing how better your arm feels after that, you know? <laughs> but, you know, it was kind of like this before I started. By the time I was over, I could do that with it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> But the truth is, that guy, he was, it was good for me. It pushed me. I didn't know I could actually get out and do that and face the, and, you know, it, it pushes you to another level. And if you're going to be successful at that particular thing, what that coach was teaching me is, hey, you're going to have to push yourself beyond this pain. And, and he was right. <clears throat> I think. I don't know. <laughs> so anyway, you get the point, though. It's hard to be a soldier. Uh, God was was preparing these folks for the rigors of the wilderness and ultimately facing the giants in the promised land. But you know the cool thing about what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3? You've been chosen. You're a chosen soldier. God wants you in his army. He wants you on his team. So endure the hardness for a little bit because, man, it's glorious. It's glorious. When the parade route is opened and we go down the street in victory, woo! We got a millennium to celebrate all that Jesus is. It's going to be awesome. So let's please him. Let's be obedient. Good soldiers are disciplined. They they endure hardness. And it's therefore no surprise that God seems a bit callous as he's preparing Israel. And we know they're a bunch of whiners, right? Later on as we get in the book, they're, they're they, they have a tendency to complain. But why is he doing that? Because he's transforming them into a military force by stripping them down and prioritizing obedience over comfort. Pastor Randy and I had a meeting one time with a fellow who prepares Christians in a difficult location on the planet. And uh, we had this dinner, and as he was talking to us, he says, yeah, we teach our children, we, you know, they take cold showers and they go without food at times. And they just, these are Christian like disciplines within the home. Like you're like, oh, is it a Becca? No, this isn't in the Becca curriculum. Uh, it, it's preparing their children because of the rigors of the country that they live in, in case they get put in prison and how to live under those conditions like their parents had to do. And, you know, you, you come away from meetings like that and you're like, Wow. What are they doing? They're teaching, they're discipling their children to be good soldiers because they're in a real spiritual battle. I had a friend of mine who lives in a foreign country I won't name right now who's near a war zone. And he says, hey, Brian, this was just a few months ago. He was in, in country. He says, some of the things I've been seeing in this one war zone, because I'm afraid if we got invaded, he goes, we're so soft. 
I don't think we could take it. I think everybody just give up. I thought about that, and I thought, you know, he's probably right. Pretty soft. Oh, how hard this can be for Laodicean. We think delayed gratification is hard. Oh, I had a cookie. I mean, the devil blessed me with cookies. And uh, it took Elle to get this cookie. This is where my sermon goes over, long, over, the time, over time. I apologize. So, and uh, true story. You think I'm a preacher, just, just fibbing. I'm not. We walk in, 11th hour, to get a, get a cookie Thursday night at some cookie place, crumble place, whatever. I, I'm like, whatever, that's way too much for a cookie. I was reluctantly doing it because I love my daughter. <laughs> Literally, she's like, which cookie would you get, Dad? And I point to the favorite chocolate chip, and she's like, great. She gets the one that's not a chocolate chip. <laughs> <laughs> And then they box this little cookie up, and, and as we're going out the door, she's like, the lady's like, wait, I want to give you two chocolate chip cookies. She didn't know that's what I would have eaten. So I've got these satanic cookies laying around the house. <laughs> you know? And I'd like to say I've been so disciplined, but, you know, I'm like, Amy, eat it. <laughs> Sam, I don't know if Sam's in the house. Sam, eat it. Somebody eat those cookies. You know where that box is right now? It's in my trash can next to my study. Because <laughs> somebody ate those cookies. I mean, it's hard for Laodiceans. The devil, the devil blessed me. So now I'm fasting, all right? So the devil, the devil blessed me. So the thing is this, is, that, is it's hard in our, in our culture. It's like, oh, delayed gratification, man. That's really, whew. That's tough stuff. We've got to delay our gratification. It's not good enough to have one cookie. I need two cookies. But delayed gratification, it can be hard. But soldiers are not about delayed gratification. They're about complete denial of self, giving their life. It's well, well beyond delayed gratification. When you get deployed, you may not be coming home. And that's where God was pushing these folks. There's only one way. We sing that song, one way, Jesus. One way, Jesus. That's it. He's the way, the truth, and the life. You know, each one of those 12 disciples that I was talking about, except for John, died because there was only one way, only one truth, and one life. And the time they spent with Jesus and even the things they watched him endure became profitable to them because they found themselves walking through the same footsteps and they realized, oh, that's what that was about. We get to emulate him. We get to live out what he got to experience. We get to suffer because he suffered. But we'll also be rewarded because he's a good rewarder. So being a soldier is rewarding. The relationships that we form during trials and challenges, are they, they cause us to endure. But, man, ultimate spoils are rewarded to the armies of God that defeat Pharaoh's army. I mean, before they even get into the promised land, they're spoiling them on the way into the wilderness. And it's an incredible thing. Eternity will reveal the rewards of being a good soldier in Christ. It will impact our inheritance. And Paul says... You should do this as a good soldier. You know what that also means? As we kind of finish this point up, there's bad soldiers. There's all kinds of bad soldiers. We see that, that later on in history, that later on in the history of Israel, not all soldiers are created equals. Some are mighty men and others are average men, and, and some are simply traitors, traitors or cowards. And if you want to be a good soldier, that does require obedience, and that does require faithfulness. Because God wants to entrust to us, beloved, 
the true riches of this book, which includes the souls that come with it. That's why you got to be faithful as a good soldier. It's worth fighting for. It's worth dying for. And last, embrace your identity because you've been deployed as an ambassador. The last thing we see in verses 8 through 13, and I'm just flying over this week. I'll get into some nitty-gritty stuff and answer some questions from the text next time. But we see that they stand before uh, Pharaoh. They're, they're prepped by God, and then they execute. And they stand before Pharaoh, and, they, and Aaron throws his rod down, and it swallows, swallows up uh, the, the magicians. And, and you guys know that story. We read it. This is an, is an important aspect of facing continual confrontation because we've got to embrace our identity as we've been deployed, not employed, deployed as ambassadors. Ambassadors bring the terms of the head of state. In this case, God is sending Moses and letting Pharaoh know the terms of the deal with his children in Israel. God is clearly commanding Moses to stand before Pharaoh and display that he represents the one and only potentate king of kings and lord of lords. And ambassadors must represent the king and his kingdom well. Today, the ambassadors of of many nations are busy, right? As there's wars, there's trade deals, there's all kinds of activity going on. Wars Wars and rumors of wars in the air. It's an ambassador who will represent the nation and present the terms of peace and also the terms of war. It's no accident that the same in that same chapter that God teaches us about the whole armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. After that, Paul declares himself an ambassador in bonds. It's an incredible, uh, incredibly insulting thing for a country to, to bind an ambassador. It's even more of a reproach to murder one. You might remember Ambassador Stevens. He's one of the most recent ambassadors in the United States to be murdered. It's not uncalled for. Several in the 1970s were murdered as well. That is when countries say, we do not like you, we do not want you, we will kill your representative. That is our message to you. We just, if you kill an ambassador, you just soon set a nuke off on top of that country. That's really the message you're sending. Paul, the ambassador for Christ, would also be murdered by Nero. But Nero could not hinder the, the gospel from taking root in his palace by killing one of the ambassadors for God and the kingdom of God. Ephesians 6.20, Paul said, For I am an ambassador in bonds, therefore I may speak... Uh, he's, he's asking for prayer, For which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Interesting thing about ambassadors. They have to speak the words that have been given. And God has said over and over to Moses, Moses, speak what I have told you to say. Say what I have told you to say. Beloved, what has God told us to say? His word. The gospel. And we were all ambassadors for Christ. If you're saved and you understand the gospel, man, you are called to be an ambassador for Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 13, 17, a wicked messenger falleth into mischief, but a faithful ambassador, oh, he's health. You need ambassadors to be faithful men, just like soldiers, just like uh, officers. How am I doing and how are you doing as an ambassador this morning? Do you bring health and life when you serve the Lord? Do you have a well-delivered message? Is your life a message or your, is, is the message of Christ on our lips? Mine, I'm sad to say, it's not as much as it needs to be. Moses and Aaron stand toe-to-toe with the magicians of Egypt and display the power of God over the false gods of Pharaoh. We'll talk more about that next week. But a faithful soldier and an ambassador learn how to do that very thing. They stand. They stand. God called them to stand before 
uh, Pharaoh. Stand before Pharaoh. Stand before Pharaoh. You know, you got uh, Charlton Heston, right? It's so famous. He's standing before Pharaoh. And, and, uh, and, uh, and that, that's what it was about, was this conflict. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Stay free. If you want to stand this morning, stay free. Stand fast in the liberty that you've been called into. Stay in the Word of God. Stay free from the encumbrances of this life. Because God doesn't need you to get encumbered if you're a soldier. Keep it light. Travel light. Keep your ruck on, man. You've got to keep moving forward. This is not your home. Don't get bogged down. Stay free. Ephesians 6.13 Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. While you're traveling light, make sure you take what you need, the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand, therefore. Whether you feel like it or not, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness, that's not a suggestion, that's a command. Take the armor of God as you're traveling light. And Philippians 4.1 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My dearly beloved, don't serve any other gods. Don't, no, there's no other master. It's not your boss. It's not your bank account. It's not your education. It's not your religion. It's your Lord Jesus Christ. It is a person. It is the person of Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 15. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you've been taught, whether by word or our epistle. What he's saying there is, you know what has delivered to you this day, this book, whether you know it or not. And when I say this book, I'm particularly talking about the authorized version of the Bible, is the blood of the saints. That's the traditions he's talking about. From the first day till now, the soldiers have died to get you this book so that you could preach it as an ambassador for Christ. Not a lot of people out dying for the ESV. They'll have another modification next week. And God's sovereignty and providence, it'll be just right. I'm just kidding. You got to know the backstory on that. But anyway, beloved, to get you this book in English, a lot, a lot of blood has been shed by faithful ambassadors, faithful soldiers. And many officers. The famous poet Aaron Tippett said this. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You've got to stand. Stand. And if you're going to stand, man, take a stand for Christ. You don't have to be nasty. You don't have to be stupid. You don't have to be foolish about it. You don't have to be over the top. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite of that. Walk in the Spirit stand firm in the faith because you're called there's this morning you're either called to salvation and if you're if you're saved you're called to service god's calling you to be a good soldier he's calling you to grow into that place i'm not ready to be an officer okay are you called to be a good soldier yes you are are you called to learn what your identity is in christ as a son yes you are just do that next thing that God's calling you to do. Maybe this morning God's calling someone to be saved. Maybe he's calling someone to serve him. Maybe he's calling some to join this church or take the next right step in, in believer's baptism and identifying publicly with Jesus because Jesus identified with you on the cross. 
I don't know what that next step is, but I would encourage all of us to do what you guys had the right answer for, and that is obey. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this morning,